You're listening to the Calvary Catechism Podcast, where we seek to defend doctrine, dispel deception, and develop disciples. Welcome back to the Calvary Catechism with a new look slash sound, because today I do not have with me Travis, which I'm still trying to decide whether or not I'm thankful about right now. (laughs) (laughs) I have with me instead, Mr. Nathaniel (laughs) O'Brien. And in tradition of Travis, um, I would go Nadio. Nadio. That's not going to be my intro. Okay. Well, that's actually one of the reasons I'm glad Travis is not here. I don't have to hear that anymore. The Travi B anymore? I don't have to hear Travi B anymore. Um, we can maybe tell uh, the story another time. It's not really a story. Uh, as you can tell, we've had trouble putting out episodes, and that's partly because Travis and I have a really hard time matching our schedules. Um, it takes some time to record a podcast. And so we've, uh, we've decided to uh, fill Travis' shoes with Nate's uh, feet. Is that, does that work? Does that illustration work? There's big shoes to fill, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm hoping to do, do well. Okay, so um, Nate, at least tell us just briefly about yourself, who you are, how we know each other, why you're here. Uh, just give us a snapshot. Sure. Um, I'm one of the elders of the church. I've been with the church for, I mean, since the beginning. So however many years that is now, 14, And that 15, church is? Mission Way Church. Here in Jacksonville, Florida. That's right. Because not everybody knows the church, I don't think. So That's right. I haven't talked about it a lot on the podcast, maybe a little bit. but um, So yeah, Nate is one of the elders here as well. And uh, we've been friends uh, really since I got here uh, over four years ago now. And so uh, we have some deep theological conversations as friends and co-elders. And we thought, why not bring that to the podcast? makes a lot of sense. So glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So um, one of the traditions that Travis and I had was I would ask a random question at the beginning of the podcast. Um, Nate has requested that that tradition end. And so... I just requested a new tradition. Uh, not doing it. <laughs> That's the the new tradition is not doing right. it at this point. Um, so normally we would do that, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to get right into the episode. Uh, and so we are in this season of the podcast, even though I know it's been a long stretch in between episodes, we have been talking about controversial topics. And I would put the word controversial kind of in air quotes a little bit because They are controversial in a sense in the culture, but we believe that the Bible speaks clearly about these things. And so for the Christian, they should not necessarily be controversial topics, even though they may be uncomfortable topics and even though they may be hot button issues in the culture, we should know how to be able to think clearly about these things. We should know how to be able to respond to the culture clearly and biblically and lovingly with these things. And so that's our hope. Our hope with all of these episodes is not just to hit hot button issues and just to get people to listen. Our hope is actually to, to help, to encourage, to challenge. Our hope is to speak truth into, um, into people's lives who may be struggling with what the truth even is. And um, we hope that people listen to this podcast who disagree with us. Um, and I would say at the outset, if you do listen to any of these episodes, including today's and, and the next one, that 
if you disagree with us, if you think we're getting it wrong, um, we'd love to have a conversation. Um, 100%. Yeah. Uh, Travis and I actually were able to have a conversation with somebody who disagreed with us. Uh, we're on our episode, Two Christians and an Atheist Debate. Uh, I don't actually remember the exact title right now. We had a great conversation with, with Corey, um, and we would love to do that again. So open invitation on that. <clears throat> but today, we're going to dive in to something that may take us a few episodes to, to, to go into because it's such a big conversation and likely you've already seen the title of this podcast and so you know exactly where we're going. But we're going to dive into the LGBTQ plus uh, issue. Um, and really we're going to parse that out into two, at least two episodes, maybe more if we need more time, where we're going to specifically address homosexuality and specifically address transgenderism. And so today, we'll begin to talk about the movement broadly, but really hone in on the homosexuality piece, I would say. And then the next time, hopefully, transgenderism, again, it all depends on exactly where the conversation goes, because it may take us a while. So, And I would also say if there's something we don't cover or questions that you have, just make sure to email those in and that could possibly be an additional episode where we go through the questions or uh, make correction. Yeah, and that email address is calfordcatechism at gmail.com. Did you know that? No. (laughs) We've been getting some emails actually in in the hiatus and in between. I've gotten emails from a few of you asking for specific topics and questions, so thank you for that. Keep sending those in. I promise you I'm keeping track of those, and we will get to those issues. Um, it's just been a long time coming. Hopefully, Nate and I will be able to have some consistency with this. Um, so let's kind of begin this topic by asking a simple question. Let's define who we're talking about or what we're talking about, if you will, the, the issue we're talking about when we say LGBTQ+. Um, it's probably good to at least first state, in case you don't know, what each of those letters stand for. So, uh, Nate, correct me if I'm wrong, but we have lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and then plus. Yeah, the, the last one would be queer or questioning. Okay. And then the plus, I don't even know how many more uh, right. letters are in the plus. Right. Um, so I think we're going to just deal with that particular chunk, knowing that it's an ever-growing uh, entity. Yes, and we'll we'll get into this. Um, the truth is, even the queer slash questioning. I mean, ultimately, we would say they still fall within the realm of the LGBT. Right. Um, and I know that they would probably disagree with that. If you're listening and you you are in that camp, you you probably disagree with that. Again, we want to be able to talk about this, but we're doing our best to talk about this from a biblical worldview. Um, and so that's that's our angle. That's where we're coming from, um, trying to be as loving as we can, but be as truthful um, as possible at the same time. <clears throat> so we're talking about uh, a group of people. I'm actually curious to ask you this question. Um, I've heard some people say that they struggle with calling it a community mm-hmm. for some reasons, or um, where do you kind of land on that? How, how do you even talk about them? Like when you say the LGBTQ plus community uh, group, like, have you thought about that before? Yeah, yeah. I think the word community would work. I think I've met people in that community. If that's the word we're using, that would be comfortable with the word community. Mm-hmm. Um, like any community, there's not a complete lockstep and, and barrel where everybody's moving in the same exact direction and they agree on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think community would be a fair representation. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
anything else on who they are? I mean, we're going to really get into what, how they think and what they believe, I guess. But uh, no, I think okay. I think in general that yeah is our target. Okay, <clears throat> and so here's an here's a question that I think is a good starting point, and we briefly talked about this before we got on air, but. I've heard people say to me, Christians specifically, something along the lines of, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and in some ways, even as little as 10 years ago, although that can be argued, I guess, people would say that this didn't seem to be really culturally accepted. Like, even though there may have been people who identified as such, they would not have necessarily been so widely accepted by the culture, and that's changing. And and why is it that that's changing? Why is it that this was such a taboo lifestyle and now all of a sudden it seems to be so widely culturally accepted in that if you don't accept it, you're, you're the oddball right, out. Like right. you're the one who's taboo if you don't accept these things. How do we get here? And that is a big question, I know, um, but I'm going to kind of toss it to you first and that's going to lead into hopefully a lot of discussion around this issue. Well, I think it's at least twofold as to how we got here. I mean, I think the first thing to consider is just the historical way that this went down. So back in the 60s, we had the rise of feminism and we had the movement toward no-fault divorce. And so the Bible's clear in Hebrews, it says that the marriage bed is undefiled and that everyone should hold marriage, one man and one woman, in commitment uh, before God, um, a marriage, that we should hold marriage in esteem, high honor, and so, and the church was involved in this to some degree where we made a move toward no-fault divorce, where we could put our spouses away for anything we wanted, mm. uh, not limited to what the Bible said about um, reasons for a biblical divorce. Mm. Um, given that, that slowly eroded the foundation, I think, of God's intention for marriage, uh, what a man and a woman and their relationship look like, the reason for that. And so then you move down the line and you get a progress, a progression toward uh, a more open-ended view on marriage. So uh, is marriage only limited between one man and one woman? Could it be also inclusive of two men or two women or, you know, fill in the blank? Hmm. Um, in addition to that, you have, uh, an, an in, I think it was intentional, move toward changing the way we use language, hmm. uh, changing our uh, uh, reaction toward uh, homosexuality in media, using entertainment, TV shows. I mean, Will and Grace wasn't the first TV show, but it was one of the most prominent ones that really became very popular and trying to get those who are watching that to be more comfortable with the subject or more comfortable with the people. And so I think those two things combined together to kind of get us where we're at today. Mm -hmm. And lastly, I'll say this, I don't think the church had a very good response to that. Mm -hmm. It was either quiet when we should have spoken up or speaking up hatefully and in the yeah. wrong way yeah. uh, instead of bringing the love of Christ and the gospel to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would agree with all that. And, you know, I think that we've just seen such a, such a fight against the biblical concept of marriage for so long that, that the world and, and Satan has really used whatever tactic possible to to attack on that concept of marriage and we'll talk more about this later but really the christian response to this has to has to be firmly grounded in the view of marriage we're not coming at this 
initially with just, well, we hate these people and we don't like what they do. Um, we're right. coming at this from what does the scripture say about this? Um, and I and I think that that you know one of the things that has aided in getting us here um, to this point that now all of a sudden it's culturally accepted is just we're so consumed by media and and we don't even realize it. We're so. Uh, you know, our men's group at the church is is doing a book, uh, Run to Win by Tim Chalice, and he talks about how if you're not actively fighting for your sanctification, you're not you're you're going to go backwards in your walk with Christ because you're so immersed in the world, right? right? So you talk about this issue with LGBTQ plus and and how do we get here? One of the things that has happened is sin has been so prevalent in our world, and Christians have not, like you just said, a lot of Christians haven't spoken up against it. They haven't thought deeply about it. And so now they're so immersed in it that they don't even realize they've become desensitized to it. And so right. it's even beginning to infiltrate the church because we didn't we didn't come at this with a biblical response uh, right away. And so I think that's aided in us getting to this point as well. Well, I would add while you were talking, I was thinking, and that was really good. I would add also that there is a personal element to it. Um, so if you know anybody who would identify themselves yeah. this way uh, in in identity and practice, there's a very real emotional reaction that you would have where it is easier for me not to want to offend you or to hurt you than it might be to speak with the truth of what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Um, because in a very real way, uh, the, the, someone in that LGBTQ plus community, their identity, mm-hmm. who they are, is tied to how they would describe themselves and what they would do and how they would interact with other people in a relationship uh, yeah. a way. And so I think there's also a fear to offend uh, even when we are solid on the truth. And then I'll say also, a lot of believers, uh, me in the past as well, we're not solid what the truth is. We're not very solid on what a marriage is. Definitionally, we're not solid on what the Bible says about men and women and how we even define those terms. And so because we don't have that firm foundation, we're not rooted in the scriptures, um, that can also lead us astray. Yeah, and you said something that uh, you alluded to it, but I'll parse it out a little bit more that I think another reason we've gotten here is because that whole shift in saying, this isn't just something I do, this is actually my identity. Um, and so that has that has caused it to become more widely accepted because you're not just you're not just looking at this or the world is not just looking at this as, well, this is just an action that they're partaking in. Right. They really believe this is who they are. Um, right. And so you, you mix into that the whole be true to yourself movement and, and, and make sure nobody can tell you who you are. Like you just all that compounds on each other and it just feeds into one another. Um, so this is not like it's its own issue. Yes, but it's even being fed into by the other sins and issues of our culture. Um, and it just it's just continuing to bubble and compound. And yeah, it's crazy. Well, and so you've got two groups of folks broadly who might be listening right now. Uh, one are believers, and, and if you're not a believer, if you're not rooted in Scripture, we might seem a little weird to you as far as where we're coming from. And so our foundation is we don't get to identify ourselves. Uh, we have to uh, let the Bible identify us. Um, we have to go by what it says versus how we feel. And so on the other side of that, for, uh, for someone who doesn't believe the way that we do, uh, I think you'll be approaching your identity, and correct us if we're wrong, you're identifying yourself based on how you feel. And so you make your own identity, and we're on the other side in a different worldview where we are identified by the Bible. Yeah. Um, at least we should be. Well, we're at, and 
when we say that, we're not just saying like, we're not saying in this cold way, like, well, whatever right. the pages of the Bible say I am, we're, we're saying the Bible tells us and, and shows us and reveals to us that we have been made in the image of our creator. Right. And what the Bible says about that really, really matters. Um, and, and that kind of plays into another reason why I think this has infiltrated the church in some ways. Christians have thought, well, I don't have a specific verse to really combat what these people are saying, which, first of all, I would say is not true. Second of all, I think Christians feel like, well, if I don't have a chapter and verse that just plainly spells out, well, right. LGBTQ plus is, is sin and we should turn from that, they struggle with that. Instead of looking at the Bible as a whole, reading it in context, understanding what it's saying, really digging deep, they're, they're chapter and verse Christians, right? They're chapter and verse Christians, meaning if I don't have a verse that's, right. that specifically says this thing, then I can't say anything about it. And it would be unloving for me to say anything about it. Which is the other thing, right? Christians are so caught up in wanting to be loving that we've missed the truth. And we've missed what, what being loving even means in the first place. Um, that's a big part of this conversation is that when we talk about loving people that we disagree with, that we believe are in sin, we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to love them? Um, does loving them mean uh, mean affirming them right. in their sin? Um, and that goes for anybody, not just people in this LGBTQ umbrella. That goes for anybody. Does loving somebody mean to affirm their sin? Or does loving somebody mean I can love you, I can be with you, I can stick with you, but I'm going to continue to point you to the truth because I love you and because I want you to turn from your sin and be with Christ? Well, and, and I'm hoping that we're all thinking through what it is we are actually asking people to do. Yeah. Um, so if I'm going to someone in this community under this umbrella um, and I'm bringing the gospel to them, the Bible truths to them, I'm asking them to go against how they identify. I'm asking them to possibly even turn away from a very real personal relationship that they have with another individual that is on a human level every uh, every degree of intensity that I would have in a relationship with anybody I know. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're asking in a sense uh, when we get to the gospel, and I'm sure we will dive into that even deeper in the future of one of these podcasts, uh, we're asking them to turn from all the things that they identify as and that they hold near and dear to them mm -hmm. and turn toward Christ. Uh, but at the same time, knowing full well that he will provide them abundantly beyond all that they can think or imagine in return. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm very sensitive to the fact that that's, in a sense, what we're coming up against when we are even trying to broach a conversation between the two camps. Um, also, I would hastily add, there are verses in the Bible. I don't know. At some point, we might go through yep. them. Uh, I think people in this group listening uh, might even know them as the clobber passages. <laughs> and, and so it might do us well to kind of go through those, walk through what they mean, what we believe about them. Uh, and then hear, hear the other side. Yeah, we will. We're going to ask specifically, how do we think about and respond to this issue with a Christian worldview? And you can't do that without looking at the scriptures. Um, I, I want to say this. Um, let, me, let me kind of talk about the whole truth and love thing a little bit more. Mm. Um, I'll never forget when I was working... Uh, in college, I was I was working a secular job when I was in college, and one of my coworkers looked at me while we were working. Uh, who you know he identified as homosexual, and he looked at me and he said, "Do you think I'm going to hell because I'm gay?" Mm. And you know I was 18, 19 at the time, still in Bible college, still trying to 
be better about <laughs> handling the scriptures. And, um, you know, I, I did my best. I mean, I, I really did. I said a quiet prayer very briefly in my, in my, in my head in that moment, like, Lord, you got to help me with this because um, I want to love this person well. I don't want to turn them away. Right. Um, but I also don't want to be fearful and, and not be courageous in truth. And so I, I said something along the lines of, you know, well, I don't believe you're going to hell just because you're gay. I believe that, that it's sin that sends us to hell. I believe because you're a sinner, you would go to hell just like for me. It would be true of me. Right. Um, and what I would want for you is not is not only for you to turn away from what I believe to be the sin of homosexuality, but that you would turn from your sin and turn to Christ and live. Um, and here's the thing. As a Christian, you might hear that and go, I think that's a fairly loving way to respond in the truth. Um, the reality is our culture does not think that's a loving response. No, they so, do not. Let me say something to Christians who are saying, I want to I love people well who, who are struggling with this issue, who disagree with me, who even hate me because of what I think. Um, I agree with you. I want to love them well too. We have to understand that the world has a different definition of love than we do. And so when you love somebody with Christ-like love, the Bible never tells you that when you love somebody with Christ-like love, um, they're always going to love you for that. Uh, no, they tell you you'll <laughs> most likely be hated right. for it. Now, we use the verse, you know, love, love one another as I have loved you, that right. the world may know that you're my disciples. Jesus did not say, we, we misinterpret that verse. Jesus did not say so that everybody will want to be a Christian. Right. He actually he just says so that they'll know you're my disciples. And, he, right. and earlier he said, when they realize you're my disciples, they're going to hate you. Right. So just because we love one another well and the world knows that we're Christ's disciples doesn't actually mean that they're going to love us still. Well, and to just be super clear, um, because, again, in my past, I've wrestled with not being very loving in my approach to people. We're not saying that um, we shouldn't be jerks. Like and we're definitely right. saying we shouldn't be jerks. We're yes. not saying that we should approach in a very harsh manner yep. um, that we're going to just beat people over the head with the truth. Yep. Um, but that our hearts need to be coming from a place of um, we want the best for, for you. We yep. want you to know Christ like we know him. Uh, and the foundation of that is we realize that we're all sinners, yep. uh, us especially. And so we deserve something for that sin. There's a, a guilty verdict that we've been given because we have broken the commands of God. And it's not like homosexuality is any more of a sin than all the other sins in the Bible listed, of mm -hmm. which I am guilty of many. Mm -hmm. um, the, the punishment for the guilty verdict would be hell, and I'm not getting the hell I deserve because of something Christ did for me on my behalf. Mm -hmm. He took in, he took my guilty verdict, he took the hell I deserve, uh, which is mercy, I'm not getting what I deserve, mm -hmm. and then he gave me all the blessings that he earned from his perfect life, he never sinned, death and resurrection so that grace comes into play where I get what I don't deserve, mm. which is heaven forever. And so because of what he did for us, uh, we want out of love to then go to other people and bring that love of Christ to them. And part of that, unfortunately, is pointing out where there might be a sin issue, yep. um, which had to be pointed out in my case, which had to be pointed out in your case to convict us of what was between us and, and having a relationship with God. Yep. Yeah, we would condemn... Amen to all that. We would condemn the actions and attitudes of the people of Westboro Baptist Church, for example. 100%. Right? I mean, what they are doing is hateful, um, is, is sinful in so many ways. 
Um, I do not believe that the people at Westboro Baptist Church held the truth well at all. Um, they may say some true things, um, but they are there. They they we would condemn their actions. I don't want to get too deep into that. Yeah, we I would can. stand with you yes. and say what they're doing is not biblical. Absolutely, it's hateful. Yep. Um, and we would not count them as Christians because yep. we are told to speak the truth in love. Yeah. Uh, and they're not doing well on either one of those. Yep. So. I've got a question that just popped in my head that I think some of our listeners probably really want us to answer. At some, That question is, can someone be a Christian and be homosexual? All right, so the, it's, a, it's a deep question. So how can someone be a Christian? Um, let's answer that one first. And we just talked about it. Yeah, a Christian is a follower of Christ. It's someone who has repented of sin, uh, defined by the Bible. All right. So in the Bible, we know what sin is and we know what it's not because it literally tells us. Mm-hmm. Now, we believe that the Bible is completely the word of God. It's inerrant, infallible. It's not wrong. It can't be wrong. And so that's the book that we go by as his revelation to his people. And so if I'm a Christian, I've repented of sin and I'm putting my faith and trust in Christ to save me. So I can't consider myself a lying Christian. I can't be a Christian who is still lying all the time without any repentance. I can't be a stealing Christian, a thief where I just take everything that I want and I'm not sorry about it. And so in that way, I can't be both. If I'm insisting on unrepentant sin, then I, I can't by definition be a Christian. Yeah, and, and I would say we have to be so cautious with our answer, not because there's not a clear answer, but because you're going to be dealing with different people and sanctification is a process that looks different with different people. Right. Um, and so there are some people that I know personally who got saved out of a homosexual lifestyle and immediately everything changed for them. Immediately right. their, their desires were different. Um, you know, everything was different. And then I know some people personally who from the moment of their salvation, nothing immediately changed in the sense that that in that moment, like all of a sudden they didn't desire this anymore. Right. Um, and it, it took, it took a time and it, it was a process. And so we have to acknowledge that different people are going to, um, are going to have different stories in, in, in sanctification, right. And, and what that process looks like for them to kill that sin or any sin, the, the, the same, right. you use the example of lying, the same as there, the, I mean, I don't actually know anybody who would tell me like all of a sudden I didn't lie anymore when I was a Christian, um, ever, but right. you know, well, and I think that's, this is true for every believer. There are some sins that when I became a believer almost instantly went away. Now they might flare up from time to time and lying was one of them. I, I was a champion liar. Yeah, yeah. I had friends that didn't exist on streets that didn't exist. <laughs> Sorry, mom. All right. Sorry. Um, I was just good at it. And so that's one of the things he really started to remove almost instantly. And there's other things uh, that I still wrestle with to this day, 20 years later, um, where it's a slow, steady progression in the right direction. There is a a sorrow for the sin and a turning from it. But it's one that you have to battle against. And so I think that experience for a believer, for a Christian is going to be similar. Right. Yeah. And we're not saying here's the distinction. We're not saying that you can't be a Christian and struggle with the sin of homosexuality. Um, right. We are saying we would call someone's Christianity into question who, who says, 
well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I just don't believe that homosexuality is a sin. Or, um, you know, I know the Bible says that, but I'm going to do this anyway. Right. Um, or somebody who simply just says, you know, I know that the Bible says homosexuality is wrong, but it's just it's just who I am. And I, I there's just nothing I can do about it. And so I'm not going to try. Um, when it comes back to identity, right. uh, we identify as so many different things as unbelievers. Yeah. Um, we have different camps that we follow in and, or fall in, rather. But when we become a Christian, we identify as in Christ. That is our primary identification. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the new gang. Mm-hmm. Everything else is secondary, tertiary, and so on. And if it's a sinful identification, it's something that we are to put off completely. Um, I, wouldn't, I would say I'm a Christian before I am anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's got to be our primary identification. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's a good um, book by Dr. Michael Brown called Can I Be Gay and Christian? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would highly recommend that book. Um, it's, a, it's a good read. Yeah. Michael Brown is a good, he's just a good author and person to listen to in general. On this don't, subject, don't especially. Agree with, don't agree yeah. with everything with him, but he's, he's solid. I like no. him a lot. Um, okay. So, I mean, honestly, one of the big things we wanted to get to was what's the Christian response to this? And, and that's kind of what we're doing in this entire episode, I would say. One of the things that I think is really important that Christians learn how to respond to is the distinction that's often made with homosexuality in particular that says, well, I can be same-sex attracted just as Mm -hmm. long as I don't act on it, right? So they're saying, you know, it's okay if you struggle with those thoughts and those desires. That's not a sin in and of itself to struggle with those thoughts and desires Mm -hmm. as long as you don't act on those desires. Um, and I've got a lot of things that I would say to that, but once again, I'll throw that to you to, for right. you to respond to that. Well, and I think Jesus responded to this pretty well when he was talking on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, he was saying, if you know, have you ever uh, hated someone in your heart? So I haven't murdered you. Uh, Kenny, I just hate your guts, and I'm not going to tell you about it. It's just inside. I'm just not acting on it. Um, for parents, I don't know if you've ever felt that way at all, uh, but he's saying that you're guilty of murder even if you have the desire. Uh, it's the same thing. If you've never committed adultery, but if you look at a woman with lust, Jesus says that's a sin. That is adultery of the heart. And so it would be like that desire for any sin. That desire itself is a sin. And I'm to take that desire to Christ. I'm to repent of that desire, beg him for help, which he will answer if I belong to him. And that desire even will slowly be sanctified and uh, slowly moved out. Yep. And let's think about what you're saying when you say, if you're a Christian and you say, well, I just have these desires that are in me that I can't, I can't fix. I can't fix that. There's a couple things faulty in that. First of all, you're saying God is not able to root that sin out of you. Right. Second of all, you're saying, even though you would not voice it this way, if you really begin to think about it, I believe what you're saying is, God's tempting me with this sin because this is how I'm made. This is who I am. And even though I've been saved and redeemed and, I, and, I, and I'm no longer a slave to sin, I'm still a slave to this sin, right? And because it, it's who right. I am. It's, it's how I'm made. And we're going to keep coming back to identity. Right. And so I'm still identifying myself with that sin. And so I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians 6 and it's 9 through 11. And I just want to read it because I think it, 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 it specifically speaks to the identity issue. And so Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, Or do you not know that unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, 
the idolater, nor adulterers, no men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so again, we have a list of sin. Um, homosexuality is not the only one on the list. And it says, and this is verse 11, which is directly like a, a wrecking ball through the identity situation. And such were some of you. You were that. You're not that anymore. And that's the great hope that the gospel offers. I was a liar. Um, I was a thief. I was an adulterer of the heart. But I'm not that anymore because I'm in Christ. And so he removes, and it's a very real truth. For an unbeliever, you are. Your identity is your sin. Um, you are marked by it. You're a slave to it. But in Christ, you're no longer identified with your sin. We're to just put it off. Because it says you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified. So sanctified, made holy, justified, declared, and looked at as perfectly righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And so we have everything we need to be unshackled from what we were. Yep. Uh, and that goes for all of us and every sin that we wrestle with. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I said earlier, you know, what you're essentially saying when you, when you believe and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just same-sex attracted and there's nothing I can do about that. You're ultimately saying God is tempting you. And James is very clear. And he says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. This is James chapter 1 starting in verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Um, that desire is the beginning of sin in your life. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that when you and I have that initial moment of temptation, that split second where some temptation comes to us, I'm not saying that you are you are sinning in that moment. The question mm -hmm. is, will you flee from that or not? Mm -hmm. um, or will you give into that? Will you just say, this is just who I am. This is how, I was, how, I'm, how I'm wired, how I think. And, you know, yes, I'm, I'm saved and I believe that sin. I won't act on it, but I, I can't really do anything about that. Um, you're going to, um, you're, you're, you're giving a room for that sinful desire in your, in your heart, in your right. mind. And James is clear. When, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Um, that's the starting point. And it's the unchecked desire. Yeah. And so there's a, it, where I'm supposed to take every thought captive. I don't remember the exact address offhand. And, and take every thought captive and present it to Christ. Like I'm to take every temptation thought that pops in my head and wrestle it to the feet of my Savior and just tell him, look at this. I'm doing it again. I need your help. I'm sorry. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And he helps us in that and through that. Yep. Yep. That's good stuff. Um, I want to get into some of the, the biblical passages that we would go to to say this is how we think about this from a Christian worldview. Um, it looks like you had something pulled up that you wanted to get to. I don't know if that's for now or... I have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> okay. Um, I just, you know, I just have it open in case we need it. That's good. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to talk about some of these biblical passages that we would hold to and say... We believe this is why the Bible is clear that homosexuality is sin. Now, we can, and I think we will to some extent, go to some of these passages that you alluded to earlier, the, the clobber passages, right? right? The ones 
Which is so interesting because that, that term is used as a derogatory thing to say, you know, we're using these Bible verses to clobber the sin of homosexuality. And they have to say that because these verses so clearly show that homosexuality is a sin, right? And then right. they're like, let's not use the clobber passages. I'm like, okay, so let's just throw out what the Bible says about it and then just do what we want. But that's another subject for another day. And we could do a podcast <laughs> on every one of those verses. I mean, yes, um, we could. We could. Um, for me, it all begins in Genesis chapter 1. Um, and I think for any Yeah, and believer, I had Matthew 19 pulled up. Yes, which um, alludes to Genesis which, 1. Yeah, yes. So I'll, I'll, I'll key up 19, and then I'll pitch it over to you for one. Yeah. Uh, in Matthew 19, Jesus is approached by the Pharisees. They're asking him about divorce, which kind of goes back to our uh, no-fault divorce. They really, uh, they like the divorce. And so they're trying to trap him with the divorce. Yeah. And so they say, is it lawful divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answers them. He doesn't answer the question. I love how he answers people. He never directly, and it's probably a good thing for me to pick up eventually, he never directly answers what they're asking. He answers the question as they should have asked it. Yeah. He goes, have you not read, not do you know, but have you not read, meaning in the scriptures that he, God, who created them from the beginning, made them male and female. So we pause right there as believers. We have a definition of male and a definition of female, which I will just quickly say that it is a designed genetic reality xx and xy that expresses itself physically mm. in primary and secondary sexual characteristics mm. um, the only time that those things aren't the case is when you have a mutation mm. and so briefly well, because sin has entered the world it has broken the way that things ought to go and so mutations are possible sickness is possible death is now possible until christ come again so if there's nothing wrong with the genetic structure and the uh, the development of a person, that XX and that XY will express itself with the primary and secondary sexual characteristics. And so male and female, designed by God, all the way down to the chromosomes and DNA, expressing itself outwardly in a, a physical reality. And so, therefore a man shall leave his father, again, the male and his mother, the female, father, mother, so it's being reiterated, and he will hold fast to his wife. Husband and wife, they don't have a definition without each other. Yeah. A husband can't be a husband unless he's married a woman called his wife. And a wife can't be a wife, uh, using the definitions from Scripture, unless she is attached to a husband. They depend on each other uh, for definition. And the two shall become one flesh. Mm. And so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And then he's alluding back to Genesis 1. Yep. Genesis 1 is where we see creation take place, and it starts in verse 26, the creation of mankind. Then God said, let us make men in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There's a lot that we could unpack there, but the two things I would say is um, we have to start with the biblical definition of male and female, which we will get into that a whole lot more deeply in the transgender episode. Um, but then God creates 
God creates the woman for to be a helpmate to the man, and God puts them together, and he says to be fruitful and to multiply. From the very beginning, we see God's design for sexuality is to be between a man and a woman mm-hmm. in order to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Yeah, there is a, a procreation that is only possible with this one specific type of pairing. Mm-hmm. And so now I can, I can hear the, the rebuttals. So what about the heterosexual couple that can't have children? Again, that is a, a result of the fall. Yep. That is a, a sad uh, reality where something isn't working like it should. Yep. Um, but procreation is absolutely the, the goal and the, the only thing that can produce and reproduce is that pairing of one man and one woman. You can't get, uh, unless you go test tube on the whole thing, you can't get a furthering of the human race. And so procreation is a key piece to that. No, we are not saying that, you know, if a, a man and a woman are married and they can't have kids, is that wrong? And this is not a real marriage and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but what we are saying is God has defined these terms, yep. male, female. He created them. He's defined what a marriage is. Yep. It's that union between a man and a woman resulting in a one flesh union. So it's a one flesh union of uh, a way that you come together physically, spiritually, emotionally that can only be achieved with that that recipe one yep. man and one woman so from a christian worldview we have definitions yeah we we can tell you what a man is yep. what a woman is and what a marriage is yeah outside of a christian worldview i would challenge how do you define these terms yeah what is a man yeah what is a woman what do you mean by marriage yeah um, and so it's going to be part of an ongoing conversation to, to realize, you know, can I even define the terms based on the worldview that I find myself in? Right. And one of the things that I think Christians could do a better job is, in addition to the gospel, the saving grace of Christ that saves you, we're offering you a foundation that you can plant your feet on, have definitions for these terms, and kind of understand the roots and, and of what we're talking about. Yeah. Outside of Christ, you can't make sense of these words. No. No. No, and I, I think... That's such an important point is a lot of times Christians will try to reason their way through this argument um, in trying to convince an unbeliever of these things. The reality is I can understand exactly how somebody would get here apart from a Christian worldview because apart from an objective standard of truth, we are just left to whatever we feel is right, whatever we think is right. Um, and, and so we, we have to be able to go to an objective standard of truth if we're going to make a truth claim. Otherwise, it's just whatever you think is true and whatever I right. think is true. And before I get off on that tangent, I'll just say that that's an important piece here. We have to, we have to be able to boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel and the truth of the scriptures. We can't just be trying to reason and logic our way into this conversation um it it just doesn't it doesn't work Um, well you can't have reason and logic apart from christ right right. and so if you try to use logic outside of the foundation provided in scripture you can't even define your terms and so that becomes a challenge um so yeah, I think that was all I had. Yeah. I mean, I lost the rest of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's just good. Fled. Well, and we, we, we got on this train of the biblical passages that deal with uh, homosexuality. And uh, so let's let's read. I want you to read uh, what you've got pulled up there and uh, let you speak for a minute. I also okay. have a question to ask on that. Okay. And so not in any particular order. Leviticus 18.22, it's in the Holiness Code. 
Um, Leviticus 18 and 19 contain a lot of the commands of God that have to do with all kinds of things, from relationships, um, from what you should eat, what you should wear. And so part of the holiness code includes this verse in 1822, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. And so right off the bat, it's saying you can't do that. Now, we are aware that, that this verse is in also in the context of verses talking about you can't eat shellfish and you can't mix fibers and these kinds of things. And so as a believer, we make a biblical distinction between the laws being discussed in the first five books of the Bible. And so you have the moral law, which never changes. It's rooted, you know, specifically the Ten Commandments and, and things like this here, where it's defining the rules for male, female marriage. Um, you've got ceremonial law, what the, the priests were to do in the temple, and then you have the societal law of how the Jewish people were to conduct themselves, how they were going to eat, how were they were, they were going to dress, to set them apart from all the other nations, mm -hmm. uh, to demonstrate that God is set apart or holy. And so we know that there's a distinction there. We are not saying that this verse, 1822 of Leviticus, is the same as you can't have shrimp. Right. We know they're different. Right. Um, when Jesus came, he absolutely fulfilled um, the societal laws that were on the Jewish people, and so those are no longer are binding to anyone. Um, but this moral law, you shall not lie with a male uh, as with a woman, is an abomination. That moral law continues on, and you can see it equally in the Old and New Testament. Yeah. Well, and that argument breaks down so quickly for me when somebody says, well, that's in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many reasons it breaks down, but I, I, a lot of times I want to look at somebody and go, you know what else is in the Old Testament? Thou shalt not murder. Um, right. So it's that's in the Old Testament, one. so we just, don't, we just don't do it anymore because right. it's in the Old Testament. Like, that's not, that's not such a, a good point as people often think that it is. Um, and, and so we got to be careful by just saying, well, that's in the Old Testament. And then let's also acknowledge that, let's say, um, it's, not, it's also not only in the Old Testament, by the way. Right. <laughs> the Old right. Testament is not the only place, and I'm not sure where you're about to pull up, but I'm going to pull up Romans chapter 1. Um, because I believe that is another... No, go ahead on that while I'm working on this. That's another great place for us to go. Paul is describing in Romans chapter 1... I, I misspoke. It's, it's civil law, not oh, societal yes, law. Yes. I got close. So moral law, ceremonial law, civil law would right. be what that which governs the Jewish people. Right. All right, go. Um, so Paul in Romans chapter 1 is, is talking about unbelievers and he's talking about those who are without the gospel and he kind of sets up this conversation in verse 18 and he says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth and he's saying look they you know the things that can be known about God are plain to them they can see creation they can see they can see all all this natural revelation around them but they're suppressing the truth and he talks about some of their specific sins and how they exchanged the creator for creation. Um, and he says uh, in verse 26, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameful acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So, first of all, Paul's calling this a sin. And lest you try to explain it away by saying, well, you know, Paul was talking about a specific kind of homosexuality that mm -hmm. was this idea of rape and abuse and all these things. 
Paul says very clearly, these men gave up natural relations with women, right? Right. So he clearly identifies the natural way here is man and woman. And, and he, even, he and even says, even your women did this. Yes. And so yes. He, he doubles down on it. And yep. so, guys, it's almost bad on us. Like, all right, so the men were doing it. Yeah. But it's it's so rampant that, and he's almost shocked in, in the Greek, even your women were doing it. Yeah. Uh, and so it is very clear what he's talking to. And now, again, I can hear in my head, well, this is only a particular type of temple worship. Um, this is only a particular type of uh, a relationship without consent with a minor and all these different kind of things. There is no historical, grammatical way that you get this out of Romans. Nope. Um, the context, how it was written, yep. the original languages... There's just, if you're being intellectually honest, there's no way you get there. Yep. Um, and yes, I also know that Paul's using a term in Romans that has not been used before. Mm-hmm. Paul, very popularly, the word he used for homosexual, and it was derived from uh, Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Now, Leviticus was written in Hebrew, uh, but at the time of Christ and Paul, there was a Greek version of the Old Testament uh, called the Septuagint. And so he takes out of Leviticus two Greek words, arsenikoiten, uh, so, uh, and puts them together mm-hmm. for the creation of the word men with men. Yep. Um, so the insinuation is in bed. Yep. And so he creates the word, and I don't know that I even pronounced that correctly, but homosexual to illustrate what he's talking about. So it's right. like he's condensing what was said in Leviticus, creating one word to make it easier to refer to it, and then using it now in Romans, he'll use it in Corinthians, and he'll use it in Timothy. Yeah. Yeah, here's the thing. Um, these are called the clobber passages, as we mentioned, right? These are some of them. And you're going to be faced with, as a Christian, uh, you're going to be faced with all manner of arguments against these passages. And you are now faced with the decision. Are you going to seek to be a student of the Word, rightly right. dividing the Word of truth, and knowing what the Bible actually says? Or are you going to allow the culture, those who are unbelievers, those who are without Christ, who cannot even understand the Scriptures rightfully, to tell you what the Scripture is actually saying? And I also, I also challenge you with this. A lot of times, Christians allow their entire worldview to be dismantled by one comment, right? Somebody in TikTok gets on there and goes, hey, you know, I know Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that, uh, that homosexuality is a sin. But did you know that he was specifically right. talking about temple worship where they were committing all these abom- abominable acts? And Christians, I don't want to speak so broadly, some Christians go, Oh, I didn't know that. Well, and, and so <laughs> we don't even want you, first of all, I don't want you to necessarily believe 100% what you hear in a 20-second clip. Right. Secondarily, I don't want you to believe what we're telling you. Yep. We want you to go to Scripture, yep. research this for yourself. And so we gave you a book uh, that would be helpful called Can I Be Gay and Christian by Dr. Michael Brown. There's also one that I'd recommend called The Same Sex Controversy by James White. He goes through these verses. Yep. And as a, just a, an encouragement and almost a warning for believers, for Christians, don't use these verses as clobber passages. Yeah. We, yep. do, we do use them if we're scared, if we're angry. At this point, I want to say, what is your heart toward the LGBTQ community? Yep. If you don't have a love for them and an affection for them, yep. and you don't want what's best for them, which we believe is Christ, yep. then I don't want you to talk to them yet. I want you to work on your own heart. If I have hatred in my heart toward Muslims, I don't probably shouldn't go evangelize them yep. until I, I get that sin under control. Yep. If I have hatred for an entire group as if they're worse than I am, that they're 
ickier than I am or whatever I'm putting on them, I need to realize how miserable of a human I am first. And if I have a genuine compassion for any group, um, then that's when I want to take the gospel. I want to take the truth of these passages. I don't want to go beat them over the head. I don't want to attack because I feel attacked. Um, there's no, there's no Christ-like love in that. Yeah. Um, he didn't do that. And so as a, as a believer to other believers, if you don't have a heart for the LGBTQ community, then I would beg you to repent of that, uh, ask Christ to help you in that. And then once you have a heart for that community or any community, then you go in great humility mm-hmm. to them with the good news of the gospel. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm, I would say amen to all of that. And, and just to, to continue to challenge, um, I think that we are living in a society, in a world that is all about picking sides, right? And everything is a political battle and everything, oh, yeah. everything is an argument and everything is how can I, how can I own them with the truth, right? right. So you might, you might've listened to this podcast because you want to get some information to go back to that person that you're arguing with about homosexuality and you want to get, just give them something that they can't, they don't have an argument against, right? And that's the wrong heart. Um, right. That, that's there's, not the there's way There's no do argument. This. No. no one has ever been argued into heaven. If no. You could argue people into heaven because of how good of an arguer I can be. Heaven would have been packed yep. because of me. Yeah. <laughs> I just argued everybody there, you know, but not once is that a thing. That's In right. fact, it says avoid foolish arguments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is, this is not a foolish argument per se, but we can have this argument in a foolish way. Correct. That's um, what I meant. And we yeah. can argue about the wrong things in this conversation as well. Um, I meant an argument. I yeah. meant like in a negative, yeah. contra- uh, controversial sense yeah. where I'm trying to win. Yeah. It is a contest. I'm trying to win the argument yeah. instead of win the person to Christ. So respond to this for me. Okay. Um, I have said this before, and I know other people that have said this, and I want you to respond to this statement. We're not, our goal as Christians is not to make homosexuals, heterosexual, our Mm -hmm. goal is to see people come to Christ or some variation of that statement. My goal is to present the Christ who came to me when I was the worst of sinners, who took the hell I deserve, um, who gave me repentance and faith, who saved me, who's forgiven me, who's given me a new heart, and I will spend eternity with him in heaven. My goal is to take that Christ to other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, my, My Jesus will fix in my heart and in your hearts, what might be broken. And he will bring the, the reality of what we should be doing through that process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having said that, speaking specifically to that, heterosexuality is the norm. Mm-hmm. It is the created norm that God has instilled in us. It is the right way of doing it. Uh, not stealing mm-hmm. is the norm. God hates stealing because God provides. Yeah. And so when I steal, I'm making a a truth claim about God that's false. I'm saying God is not a good provider, and so I have to get it for myself. God is truth, and so he says, don't lie. Mm-hmm. And so when I lie, I, I give a false impression of what God's like because God doesn't lie. And so I hope that kind of answers the question. It does. Um, I would I would say, and I, I, I mentioned, that's something that I've said in the past, and I think it's a true statement, but I think we have to be careful with that statement right. because reframe that with another sin. 
Um, we're not trying to turn murderers into non-murderers. We're trying right. to bring people to Christ. No, we are and trying to get you not to murder. That's true, but we all also don't want you to murder. Um, Murder's bad, right? right. <laughs> but I would say, I would say the the good behind that statement is that my whole goal when talking with somebody who's who's in the LGBTQ plus community is not to convince them that that. Um, they need to be out of that community necessarily. Um, I will still boldly talk about what's sin and what's not, but my my whole focus is the gospel of Christ because I know that if somebody becomes truly saved, then Jesus is going to begin changing those desires in them. And yeah. then, then we can have the discipleship conversation where right. my goal actually is, now that you're saved, now that you're a Christian, one of my goals among many well, actually is that you're not homosexual, but that you're, that you're right. heterosexual. And it, it would be our goal. Right. It would be me, right. and it would be in that person because they would want to follow Christ. So they hopefully are asking in a discipleship situation, what does it look like for me to follow Christ? Yep. Here's what it looks like to follow Christ. Yeah. Um, so that would be our goal. But yeah. Our primary goal, no, is not to have you act a particular way, get rid of certain behaviors, adopt certain behaviors. Our goal is a heart change. Yep. Um, those, the changes in how I act and feel and think are going to come with that heart change um, through the power of the Holy Spirit once you've put your faith in Christ. Yep. My question is, are we going to be able to get through this podcast without addressing uh, Mr. Andy Stanley uh, in his recent comments or not? Well, you just brought it up, so I feel like... Okay, I don't actually want to get into Andy Stanley himself, but he said something that I do want us to engage with okay. here. Um, and I don't have a direct quote from him, um, but I, I feel confident enough to give you the essence of what he was saying. Yeah, no, I've heard it too. Um, he, he was saying at one point that, you know, he's like, I know that there's the clobber passages and I know that we've got what the Bible says about this, but, you know, and he, he literally does say, oh my goodness, you know, can just think about with me, these, these people who say they want to follow Christ, even after they've been beat up by the church for so long, right? And he's talking about homosexuals, transgender. Sure. He's talking about people who for so long, they've been told that it's sin, it's sin, it's sin. And instead of just running away from the church, they're still saying, we want to, no, we want to follow Christ. We want to be in the church. Um, and he's saying we should respect them for that in a sense. Um, and, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people took to him saying that because they thought, yeah, I know somebody like that. I know mm -hmm. somebody who's been beat up by the church, um, who has been spiritually bullied in some ways because of their lifestyle. Um, and they still want to be around and I, and I do respect them for that. Um, but, but there's some issues with that as well. So, uh -huh. so what are the issues with that? Um, and how should we rightly think about that? And this is going to begin to move us more specifically into what, what do we, how do we respond to the people in our churches who right. we know and love, who either are trying to move the church more towards acceptance? Um, and we'll get to that in a second. I want us to first respond to yep. the comment by, by Mr. Mr. Stanley. Yeah, no, uh, it is sad to me to see his steady decline away from the word. Um, so I'll restrict myself to merely that comment uh, about that in general, but more specifically to his comment, which was taken from, I believe, either a teaching sermon or a sermon at his church. I don't remember which one. Um, but the first thing I'd want to know is, what do you mean beat up? Yeah. Um, was it that someone told you the truth? Right. Uh, and that hurt your feelings? Are we honestly talking about someone acting in a sinful way towards someone? They were harsh, they were unkind, they were impatient. Yeah. 
in that regard, I would encourage every believer, uh, me especially, any way that I've offended someone, mm-hmm. I need to go address that with them and ask for their forgiveness. Yep. Um, that is just no matter who they are or no yep. matter what they're doing, no matter how they identify, if I've treated you in a, in a hateful manner, I need to address that yep. before anything else. Yep. Um, so let's say that it was an honest, sinful uh, response that they had to endure and they did stick around. So on one hand, I can have compassion for them and I can be uh, remarking on how courageous I could find that. Right. Um, I would want them to know that despite the fact that you've been treated this way, you're still trying to stick around and you're trying to plug in. And I'm sure from a heart of I care about these people right. even. So I would extend that encouragement, but then I would also challenge um, if you are an unrepentant, active homosexual, are you a Christian? And we would have to have that conversation, which might feel miserable. It feels miserable <laughs> when I think about having it. And I've had this conversation with people yeah. in that community. Um, it feels bad for them. And, and I, want a, I want a compassionate heart toward that. Yeah. Because again, to what I said earlier, I'm asking them to completely walk away from the essence of who they think they are. Yeah. And, and the reality of very profound, emotional Reactions and attachments they have to other people. The relationships they have are real relationships. Yeah. They do have affection for one another. Um, I can't escape that, and so I've got to take that into consideration when I'm saying you must turn from this toward Christ. Yeah. Um, so there's got to be a compassion there. But yes, I can applaud somebody who's doing something courageous. Mm-hmm. I can address sinful responses that people might have that have caused them hurt and pain. I mean, as a body of believers, we never want to act in a manner that's not Christ-like. Yeah. But I, I would then also have to address the truth of the situation. Uh, you know, thank you for hanging out here, but yeah. uh, there's a, a, a speck that we need to address, yeah. Um, yeah. the elephant in the room. Yeah, I would agree with all that and also say that wrapped up in that whole uh, that whole statement that, that that he was making is this idea that Somehow it's righteous for somebody to be called out on sin, not deal with their sin, but still be in the church. Right. Um, and that's not a righteous thing. No, um, if, if that's what hurt them, yeah, is yeah. someone told them the truth, yeah. um, then uh, okay, that, yeah. that to me is a good thing. Yeah. I, not that I want to hurt people, but if you were bothered by the truth, that could be God working on your heart. Yeah trying to convict you of the truth of what's said. Now, how I deliver the message right. needs to resemble Christ. The actual message can't change. I have to tell right. you the truth in love, but it's like the pen analogy. If the pen represents my message, I can gently hand you the pen, right. or I can throw it at your face yeah. and stab <laughs> you with it and write all over you wrong. Well, and, and here's a challenge to anybody. This And this is a challenge to anybody in general when you're confronted with sin, but for the purpose of this episode... If you would identify as homosexual and you are you're you're saying you know people have come at me so in such wrong ways and and that may be true um, and I hate that that's happened um, but I would challenge you have you ever actually thought about the content of what they've said mm-hmm. so maybe they did clobber you with the Bible they are wrong for that and they will give an account to the Lord for that um, but have you ever sat down and thought to yourself but 
what does the Bible actually say? Are they right in what they said? And is this a sin that I do need to address in my life? Or have I written them off? And because I thought they were unloving, I just thought I must be righteous because they're so unloving toward me in this. And so I'm not doing anything wrong. Um, and, And so the challenge is think about the content of what's being said. Yes, the challenge goes out to us as believers to be loving and to be kind and to be tenderhearted, bearing with one another, all those things. Um, And then the challenge goes out to somebody on the receiving end of that, even when Christians are unloving, because we can do that, uh, we can fail in that area. Are you willing to still listen to what's being said and engage with the truth of the matter and not just engage with the emotional aspect of of what's happening? Well, and I would agree with all of that. And I would add for believers an additional encouragement. Have you talked to anyone from this community? Have you sat down with them? Have you had a chance to ask questions, get to know them, get to know how they arrived at where they're at today? Um, a lot of times, if we consider people, like you were saying earlier, as a different group and we start segmenting all these different groups out, it's almost like we can't, yep. we're scared to go mingle among the group. Yep. Um, it won't rub off on you, yeah. right? <laughs> like you're not going to catch it. Yeah. Um, it's okay to just have a personal relationship in so much that. I know your name. Yeah. I know something about you. I've heard your heart on the subject. Yeah. I'm not just in it to win an argument. I'm treating you like a human being. Yeah. Um, that would be my additional yeah. encouragement is how many people do you actually know in that community that you can sit down and have a conversation with? Yeah. And if they hate you for it, because uh, that can happen, um, continue to love them anyway and continue to continue to seek to reach them with the gospel anyway. Right. Um, I, I just think that sometimes we 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 go in to, with a conversation with somebody and they don't receive it well and so we give up um, and and we think you know I'm just not going to reach them. Um, don't give up, uh, especially if this is somebody you do have a personal relationship with, you do have a connection with. Don't give up. Continue to try to reach them with the gospel. Continue to do it in love, with a sincere heart, um, but with unwavering, unfading truth. Uh, that that's so crucial in this. Um, we're coming up, I and mean, we're already over an hour. We try to keep them somewhat to an hour, but I want to I want to talk about one more thing. Uh, we can be somewhat brief on this. Um, I want to I want to ask, how do we? How do we deal with this in our churches? And Mm. and I guess what I want to say is I think one of the problems that has happened in many churches is that there's a silence on this issue. Um, So um, I know a church, for example, that has has been somewhat silent on this issue from the pulpit. And then when they did say something, a lot of people left the church because they didn't even realize that the pastor felt that way. Now, right. you can make the argument, maybe maybe they should have assumed that, maybe should, they should have known that, but they didn't. They, this is not being talked about in the church, and then all of a sudden, a comment's made, and everything just blows up. So, how can the church have a consistent message on this? How can Christians individually even have a consistent message on this without being the person that every moment of every day is beating the drum of right. homosexuality? Well, and so, there's a local church who, uh, First Baptist Jacksonville, just put out a succinct this is what we believe as a church regarding this issue um, so that it was clearly defined so that the members knew about it so that non-members knew where they stood and so they're not trying to hide it they're not trying to beat anybody up about it it was was a very short paragraph and so I think that's very helpful for churches to have as just a succinct this is what we believe this is where we get it from Um, so that people aren't surprised because unfortunately a lot of people are surprised that Christians 
believe what the Bible says. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's kind of Christian's fault to some degree because we're not making that well known. Yep. Um, and so secondly, especially if it's somebody I'm having a conversation with on a more personal level, I don't have to have every conversation about homosexuality. Right, I right. can ask them how their day was. Yep. Like if I've already talked to them about it and we've had multiple conversations, mm-hmm. how was your day? How yep. was work? How's life been? Yep. I mean, it's okay to talk about other things too. Yeah. Um, we don't have to constantly be going at this because, believe it or not, homosexuality is not their biggest sin. Mm. It's not their only concern. We have so many things that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God about. Yeah. Um, James said if we sin in one way, we're guilty of breaking the whole law, and all of us break all ten of the commandments on a regular basis. So somebody in that group is also probably wanted something that didn't belong to them. Yeah. Also probably didn't honor their mom and their dad completely growing up. Also probably hated somebody unjustly in their heart like we do or have lustful intent in their heart. So they're guilty of more than just this. Yep. That is not their only concern or even their primary concern. Their primary concern is the, the anger that God has for sin and for sinners is coming toward them. Yep. They're an enemy of God and, and, and we want them to be saved and become friends of God. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. So I this quote just came to my mind, and I'm going to see if I can find it um, by Charles Spurgeon. If if sinners uh, go to hell, uh, do you, you know that quote from Charles Spurgeon? He's had there so many is. quotes. I just pulled it up. This is kind of the mentality that yeah, I yeah, think yeah. would be really it's it's a mentality that I think would be really helpful to have as a Christian trying to speak into this issue because we are hated. For having this stance, um, we are looked at as we're looked at, at as hateful and intolerant, and all these other things behind the times. And um, many people even accuse us of not truly understanding what the Bible even says about this. All these accusations mm-hmm. are coming our way. It can be overwhelming. It can be discouraging. Um, I love this quote by Spurgeon. He says, "If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay." If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions mm. and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Um, Spurgeon did not believe that we can save somebody by begging them to be saved. Right. But what he's saying is don't give up. Don't ever right. get to a point that you just go, it's a lost cause. I shouldn't try to reach them with the gospel anymore. Um, don't If they're, if they're going to end up on their way to hell, um, he says, let it be over our dead bodies. Let it be with every effort on our part to keep them from that. Um, That's that's what that compassion is. I mean, that's the heart of compassion that I want for myself and that I want for fellow believers. Uh, That's when I can present the gospel clearly. I can present it in a loving manner when my heart is breaking for that person and I want what's best for them. Um, That's when hopefully uh, they can hear my heart behind that Mm -hmm. and the gospel is now literally the only hurdle I'm throwing at them. My tone is not the hurdle. Mm-hmm. My attitude's not the hurdle. I've, I've restricted it to only being the good news of the gospel, which if they don't like, yep. okay, I at least got that information to them and yep. didn't create other unnecessary hurdles because I wanted to win an argument, yep. uh, beat somebody up, feel good about myself, yep. etc. That's good. Well, uh, there is always a lot that can be said, but I feel like this was a good and helpful conversation. I I hope it was for you. Um, Maybe you have more questions about this particular issue, more thoughts on this issue. You disagree with us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, We'd love to even potentially have you on the podcast uh, and talk about these things as well. Um, This does not have to be the end of the conversation. 
But it is going to be the end of this episode. Right. Yeah. Because no, we're now sure. an hour and 11 minutes-ish into this conversation. That's pretty so, long. Yeah. Um, so thanks for listening, as always. Uh, we're going to be back with the next episode, hopefully talking specifically about the, the issue of transgenderism. There's going to be a lot of the principles that we used in this episode that we can build on for that. Um, but we do think it's worth having its own separate episode for. Um, so for now, this has been Kenny and... Nate. Nadio. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> Love you, Travi. It's just Nate, though. I wonder if Travis is going to listen to this. He better listen to it. I listened to all of his. I even got the mug. Nate is actually the official owner of the only two pieces of Calford Catechism swag in the universe. Correct. The mug and, and the, the t-shirt. which my son stole, and now he owns. So, so I only get the mug. If you would like some of those things, um, give us some money so we can buy those things. Right. <laughs> and we will one day get that to you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, y'all. Until next time, peace out. Bye.